Test one. All right, we are super excited to be with y'all tonight. We've got three special guests. One is the Dr. Jason Dees right here. Yes, that's right. Another is Maggie Whitaker, who works for Cox Communication, and uh, she has an incredible title here, Analytics and Strategy. She's the Director of Strategy and Analytics at Cox. We also have Dr. Russell Moore, who's going to be joining us. There he is. Look at this. All right. Uh, we've got Dr. Moore, who's joining us. And as we get started tonight, like we do a lot of times, I want to quickly go through some of the surveys you just answered that kind of give us a little bit of a pulse of who you are in work. So I just asked three simple questions today. The first is about your boss. The three options about the boss is, my boss is why I want to quit. My boss makes my job worth it. I answered that one. Uh, Thanks, Tom. I'm here for you. My boss makes following Jesus at work easy. I did that one too. Uh, and then my boss makes following Jesus at work a challenge. What's interesting is, as much as I hear some of you be disgruntled with your job, a lot of you really said, my boss is part of the reason I'm still there. And a lot of you actually said, my boss actually makes it easy to follow Christ. And so I think that that's really important for us to keep in mind that sometimes the noise gets in our head and we can maybe not see the forest for the trees. So some of you just need to be thankful. Hey, you got a good boss. Others of you, 15 of you, though, will have a work clinic over here afterwards. Uh, so the next one, my coworkers. Number one answer was they're a mixed bag. I never know how our interactions will be. Most of you said that, but only two less said about your coworkers, I love them. They're the best. So again, pretty divided. Well, this is not an again, but a pretty divided room. But again, a lot of you have something to be thankful for here. You got some great coworkers. Four of you said, pray for me. Seriously, they're the worst. Uh, and then a tie between the next two. One, my coworkers challenge my faith to the point of exhaustion. And right next to that is my coworkers build up my faith. I think what I'm seeing here is if I had to just divide this room up, your bosses are less of an issue right now than the people you work shoulder to shoulder with. That's just an interesting observation about you. And then uh, the last one that I asked is, I have or would quit a job to work in a more faith-friendly place to have faith-friendly coworkers, to have faith-friendly boss, to have a faith-friendly boss, or nah, I'm fine with the suffering. You know, what? that was a tongue-in-cheek of, you know, I'm fine working with a bunch of folks who don't know Jesus Christ. But a bunch of you said, if the option was there, I would leave to have a faith-friendly environment a faith-friendly coworker or a faith-friendly boss. And so what you are seeing across the board is by and large, you coming to this young adult gathering on Tuesday night makes you a little bit of a unicorn for the rest of the world. You are an anomaly. And so we want to honor that as we go through tonight and answer your questions. We've got a whole bunch of them. So I'm gonna play moderator. I'm gonna throw questions out 
and uh, and we'll let you guys answer. If it goes a little long, I may uh, I may just have to say, hey, let's uh, let's move on to the next one so that we can get to all of them. So what I'll do is I'll read the question, I'll call on the person, Dr. Moore, you're going to be up first, and then we'd just love to hear your response. So, question number one: How can you be loving? but not at the same time accepting of, spin, uh, of sin, especially when you are expected to be involved. Example, a Christian employee has a boss whom they get along with well that asks them to work a company booth at a pride parade. Dr. Moore? Well, I think the, the, the main thing that you do is to actually love people. And uh, that means that every conversation doesn't have to be a debate over the areas where you disagree. So if someone asks you to do something that violates your conscience, you have the relationship to be able to say, I'm not uh, asking you uh, to do what my conscience says, but I'm asking you not to violate my conscience. And one of the things that I've found is a, a lot of times there are Christians who assume that their employers are going to be much more hostile than they actually are. Uh, once they talk to them and they built the time to, they, they spent the time building that relationship uh, with them, it, it, it usually isn't as bad as, as a Christian might think it would be. You know, I probably should have told you a little bit about Dr. Moore before he gave such a stellar answer, but just so you know, Dr. Moore is a really, really great thinker, has been super influential in the Southern Baptist Convention and has just recently announced that he's going to be the public theologian for Christianity Today. So I don't know if you all understand the weight of this, but he and Jason are friends, and it is a huge privilege, and we're really glad that you're here, Dr. Moore. So thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Uh, I said, uh, when one of my team members said, Jason, Denise has asked you to do this, I said, well, yes, whatever Jason wants, we do. Man. <laughs> well, and another plug, Dr. Moore is going to be preaching for us in the fall, so, and not by Zoom that time. Re so, real yeah. life, it's going to be amazing. So, I think it's uh, maybe the first Sunday in October, so mark your calendars. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's a great answer. I'm going to move us to our next question, which is for you, Maggie. In my secular workplace, since you are the, the one person in this crew that is in a secular workplace, in my secular workplace, how should I be sharing the gospel? For instance, I've been in the corporate world for three years now. It's hard to find any opportunities to share my faith without it being uncomfortable for those around me. Do I keep waiting and praying for the right doors to open for me to do this? Yeah, I, I really think about it um, kind of two different ways. One, just it doesn't necessarily have to be some huge proclamation, some big event that you're waiting for. If you're investing in relationships with those around you, those opportunities should really come about you know, pretty often. If you really care about the people that you work with or who work for you, you just wanna get to know them and find out who they are, what makes them tick, um, what motivates them. And it, I think it can really come about naturally that you can share your faith in that way. And then also, I think just really your work ethic and doing an awesome job to the point that people start to notice something is different about this person 
what is different about them? I want to be like them. And they start to ask you. And then you really get that opportunity to explain the reason for the hope that you have. She slid in 1 Peter 3.15 there. Way to go. I, I think that's an excellent response. The gentleness and respect, and as Dr. Moore said a second ago, those relationships, that's going to carry you through in being able to explain Christ to folks. So the third question was antagonistic. It was to me, so I'll read it. Uh, I kind of disagree with Thomas's stance on work not being your mission. So if he could explain that uh, more, I'd be happy to hear. Yeah. So two weeks ago, thank you for whoever asked that. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, and in the latter half of that chapter, God outlines, hey, I'm going to give them work. And then he says, he uses the word, I want them to have dominion. And that word dominion in Hebrew is kabash. And that simply means that you are trying to bring order and continue the work that God had begun you may find that order and that work that God had continued or, or that God has, is doing, and you may be able to do it in your place that writes your check. But you may not. I think about the guy in South Georgia that's farming a peanut farm by himself. I've seen those tractors, so have you. I'm not sure that his full mission in life is revealed in driving that tractor. But there's probably folks who he interacts with it could be on his son's little league team. It could be uh, in the PTA or the 4-H club that he volunteers with. There, it can be your work that is your mission, but sometimes it's your work plus something else that God has for you. Sometimes it's, man, your work, and it's 80 hours a week, and that is your mission, and you know it's your mission, but sometimes it's not. And that's what I meant by your work's not your mission. It's really not always your mission. It can be a variety of things that God has for you, and they can change over time. So that's where I was, uh, that's where I was going. Does that make, is that clear to y'all? Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think the, your work is not the whole sum of your life, yeah. right? And so it's a part of your life, and I think in any job you bring, you can, you can bring honor to the Lord. Uh, there's, there's no, all jobs when done rightly display that kind of kibosh. That's right. you know, I think Elizabeth Elliot talks about combing her daughter's hair, bringing order out of chaos, right? <laughs> so no, uh, you know, for some of you folks that are going to pr primarily work in the home, that can be the hardest and most tedious and most exhausting of the works. Um, but it is incredibly missional, obviously. And even in the things that, like combing, a ha combing the hair, or folding clothes, or doing the dishes, there is a sense of order that is right and good, that, that brings about a quality of life, that brings about an order and existence in the household that is right. And, and again, you can apply that to any job, from peanut farming, to high finance, to medicine, to combing a child's hair. That's right. I think that's good. Yeah, I'm going to ask this next question to you, Jason, and maybe we do what we just did. If, if, if either of you, Dr. Moore or Maggie, if y'all have a, a, a thought to add on to this, please do. But the question goes to Jason. My question is, when is it appropriate to be super specific about our faith? My instinct wants to tell everyone about Jesus and how he changed my life, but I know, unfortunately, some people could be turned off based on what they've heard before. So is it ever a good idea to build a relationship first instead of straight up saying they need Jesus? 
always in a loving way, of course. I wouldn't want to turn them away, but this person ultimately is saying, I really want to be bold in my workplace about my faith. I think with your gospel presentation, and this really like applies in any gospel presentation, right? What is this person hearing, right? What, what am I saying to them that they're going to interpret and understand, and how are they going to understand it? And this could be, I mean, again, I'll just kind of bring this to, to the forefront. The way that I talk about a relationship with Christ to my five-year-old son is different than how I talk about a relationship with Christ than my nine-year-old daughter. They're not that different in age, but just they, they have different cognitive understanding of these things. They have, I can use different language with, with each of them. And I think the, the same thing applies to really every person in your life. And so if this person, and y'all kind of heard me talk about this, if it's the good Christian guy, you know, that grew up in a good church and got in college and joined a fraternity and kind of strayed away from the Lord, but he just kind of needs somebody to challenge him, the way that you talk to him about faith in Christ and following Jesus is different than the way that you talk to the person that's living a deeply secular life that, uh, that, that is maybe bitter toward the things of the Lord or hateful toward the things of the Lord. Really what your goal with them is to, first of all, deconstruct the false understanding of Christianity that they probably have, okay? So they, they have some sort of narrative about Jesus that they're believing. And I would say you need to work at deconstructing that. You need to work at deconstructing the false narrative of security or life that they're placing in some sort of secular worldview, and then start reconstructing the gospel. So the zeal and the boldness, I so appreciate it. Yeah. I love it. I, I, w- I, I actually think few, <laughs> there's probably, we need more people saying, I'm being too bold with my faith <laughs> and I need some guidance. I'd much rather you be in that position than somebody that, that never wants to talk to somebody about the Lord. But I, I think that that's what I said is very important. How, who you're talking to really determines how you talk to them about the Lord in a way that they can understand it. Dr. Moore, Maggie, either of y'all? Well, I would just add that you also need to know yourself, which means you know where your particular vulnerability is. So if you're going to have some people who are not going to want to take the effort to know who they're talking to, uh, Jesus always knew exactly to whom he would speak. And so they're, they're going to want to come in, as Jason says, give, give the same sort of presentation to, to everybody without any lead-up. Or most people, I think, are probably those who are fine to build relationships, but they never want to get to the point uh, where they, they talk about the gospel. And, and often, I think, again, back to what we said the first time, a lot of, time that, a lot of times that's because we lack confidence. And we assume that people are going to be far more offended than they actually are. Often you're going to find that really, really secular people uh, sometimes are actually curious. They, they want to know how somebody can believe uh, this sort of thing. So, so figure out whether you're the kind of person who's going to lean into never getting there, or if you're going to be the person who's going to be uh, unwise and, and not strategic in what Yeah, I was kind of thinking along the same lines of just knowing yourself and your own style. And I think, I think about my husband and I, we're very different. He's super extroverted very bold um, and it works for him to just kind of be in your face but in a loving way but he's that's just his personality whereas that would never be my personality or style so if I were to try and take that approach at work it it wouldn't come off in the right way like that 
that, that would just be awkward. And so I think you've got to kind of understand your own personality and your style and, and be authentic. And I think people can really see that if you're, if you're being authentic. And I would just challenge all of you, at Christ Covenant, if you've, if you've come on Sunday and you've heard us talk about a table talk, it's, it's a great reminder of who are those one, two, three people in your life that you're even thinking about not being a Christian. That's a great place to start if you hear this and you think, I'm not bold at all. I haven't even, I'm just trying to have my head above water. Start thinking about who are those one, two, three people that I really wish knew the Lord then you start looking, as these three have said, for a way to have a gospel conversation with them. And I would say, too, just to add one little thing, if people know you to be a Christian at all, most of the time they know enough about Christianity that Christians are supposed to share their faith. Like <laughs> I, I, my son's Rainer's baseball coach, um, and he's actually come and visited Christ's Covenant a few times, but I started kind of just pursuing him, just saying, hey, you want to hang out, you want to connect? And he said to me, are you just trying to proselytize me or do you want to be my friend? And I appreciated that. I mean, he knows I'm a pastor, right? And I said, well, can it be both? Like, can, can I be doing both at the same time? And, and so he and I have built a little bit of a friendship and he is so intrigued, but he was kind of expecting that from me. And again, you may not be a Christian pastor, but if people know you to be a Christian at all, and you start to hang out with them, for this thing, for this to come up is not going to be super awkward, like, like Maggie said. Yeah. I think that's great. We could keep going. I'd, I'd love to keep going about this, but we're going we're gonna to move to the next one. Uh, Dr. Moore and Jason, this is for, uh, for both of you. What advice do you have for people working in full-time ministry or nonprofit roles on rest, avoiding burnout, boundaries? Dr. Moore? <laughs> well, I'm not sure that I would be the person to ask, but uh, I would say some things that I have learned, and that is, um, you need to have some people around you who can who can see when you're when you're working too hard. Um, that's part of it. And the other thing is, you you need to um, refocus sometimes on what's important and what's not. And um, what I've found for a lot of people in ministry, and I'm talking every single day to people who are really, really uh, having a difficult time ministering during this COVID year and they're exhausted, um, I think you have to, to step back and say, the things that are going to be the most important about my life actually aren't the things that have to do with my gift. And so the, the minute that you start to identify yourself yes. uh, with your, your gift, that's when, you become, uh, that's when you become really, really in danger of, uh, of conflating those two things in a way that's, that's going to be dangerous. So I, I would say that the, the primary thing is having people around you who know you well enough. You've built those uh, friendships, and they're not your friends because of your ministry. Uh, they're your friends outside of your ministry position or your nonprofit uh, position, and who can say, eh, "Seems to me like you're you're really exhausted," or "Seems to me like you're you're really overwhelmed and you don't know what uh, what to do next." But you have to have people that you can trust to be able to talk about uh, those things in a way where they're they're rooting for you, they're they're for you. They're not going to to use it to somehow to your That's good. I would say that, uh, so I think you have to think about your life 
in, in little spheres, right? And so, obviously, what God thinks about me, who I am before him, is the most important, like, identity that I have, okay? Now, I can discern that in, in various ways through a prayer life, through time in God's word, but I can also be deceived if it's just me and God, right? So that's, a, that's the most important layer, but it can be, if it's up by itself, a deceptive layer, mm -hmm. right? Everybody in Christian ministry, for example, would say, well, of course, my relationship with God is the most important thing about me, but it may not be. The, the, the second layer that I want to really see my life through, like understand my identity through, is, is really my, my family and my friendships. And I think this is what Dr. Moore is saying. I, I think for a lot of folks, and this is not just true of Christian ministers, work is such a sneaky idol because it can give you a claim, it can give you, it can provide for you, it can provide for people you love, and it, particularly Christian ministry, you can never be vulnerable with anybody as long as you're perceived as this successful Christian minister person. And you can actually be very distant from the Lord that's a very dangerous idol to have in my sphere, right? I think Paul Tripp wrote a book called Dangerous Calling, right? And so just even having the Christian ministry idol potential in the sphere is dangerous, right? And it's very, and, and so it has to be kind of kept under control. And in my life, it's been my friends. I, I, I really care mostly, I just got really loud all of a sudden. I really care mostly what, the men in my life that love me and know me, and of course Paige is included in that, that know me and love me the most think about me. Mm -hmm. And those are really the most important relationships. And I would sacrifice, you know, I mean, if, if I would quit Christ's covenant for those relationships because that's really just so much of my core identity and who I am. And, and they, I think, insulate me from keeping the idol of ministry success or, or, or work in general. And this can be true if you're a big exec at Cox Communications, right? It's not just for nonprofit or Christian ministry. Mm -hmm. um, from creeping in and becoming your primary identity. Uh, I was hanging out with a friend who has kind of a substantial ministry position not too long ago. And somebody was like, yeah, they're kind of hard to know, da 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 and I was like, yeah, I feel for them because I feel like they always have to keep up this caricature of who everyone thinks about them, right? Everybody's kind of labeled them as this person. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard for this guy to let his hair down and just hang out with the guys. And so anyway, I, I, I just think having friendship in your life, as Dr. Moore said, um, and not in friendship that really they don't depend on you too. That's an important thing, right? If you're only friends, like if Blake was my only friend and I can fire him, you know, Blake is my friend. But if, if, if your only friends like depend on you, that's not the kind of friend you want. I want friends that don't depend on me mm -hmm. um, to really be able to boldly speak into my life. That's good. If I could just add one thing to that. Um, I was just having a conversation day before yesterday with a friend uh, who was thinking about what he should be doing next in employment. And I said, you know, there's, a, there's that old cliche that uh, nobody on his deathbed is saying, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. And that's a cliche because it's true. 
And, uh, and, and it's not just that you're not going to be thinking about these big work accomplishments. You're, I've been at the bedside of a lot of people as they're dying. And they're not even focused on those big, triumphant moments that we all think about, the weddings and the graduations and so forth. What you're thinking about are those little, ordinary moments. Taking the kids to get ice cream or seeing the, the lightning bugs in the backyard. I mean, all of those little, ordinary moments and pay attention to those. And if you're in a situation where some sphere of your life is causing you to, to simply be speeding along and not paying attention to those things, recalibrate, pay attention. That's good. That's good. I want to just throw one out there, a uh, little popcorn style here. This is a cousin question. Uh, how do I handle a workaholic boss and or coworkers when I feel the tension of honoring God with my work, but not letting work be my God? So this isn't so much on me. This is on how, how do I follow God when these other people are saying work, work, work all the time, never stop. I think, I think you can be, um, it's an opportunity to share about the Sabbath and like what that means to you and, or the time of worship on Sunday and a corporate gathering and what that does to build you up um, and restore you for the week. Um, maybe that's an opportunity there, but, um, yeah, I think also as a, as a working mom, I've had to, um, you know, obviously communicate the importance of my family and my children and, and try to find that balance of working really hard at the, at, um, you know, the finance world and that kind of thing. Um, but also loving my kids and serving them and my husband and um, that can be challenging, but I think you've got to be open and honest and, and maybe see it as an opportunity to, to share some of that faith that you have. Have you ever had any pushback from a boss or a coworker on why you left to go do a thing or didn't stay as long as them? Never. I think, I think there's a lot of fear on that as well. People are so worried about the perception or what someone's going to think of you. Mm -hmm. if, if you are honest and open and, and, and push back in that kind of way, I, I have never encountered any kind of ramifications for that. That's good. Yeah, likely that fear is coming from some idolatry that exists in your own heart, right? You want to prove yourself. You want to be working harder than everybody else. And you want to be showing yourself. And again, you should work hard, right? The Lord commands us to work hard. But I would, I would be careful. Is that pressure really coming from without or is it coming from within? Are you just trying to prove that you're the hardest worker in the place, or do you really value the things that, the other things that God has put in your life that he's given you a stewardship over? Uh, you don't want to be successful in the workplace and a failure in your marriage or a failure with friends or a failure in your local church, right? I mean, I hear people all the time, you know, justifying not being uh, a good member of a church because they have to work or, or et cetera, et cetera. And I would just say, you know, to, to Dr. Moore's point, you don't want to get to the end of your life and have failed in all of these other areas. I'm going to go ahead and let you in on a secret, all right? Y'all are all in your 20s. You're getting started in your career. 
probably you'll, you'll jump around, but let's say, let's say you're the rare exception and you work for the same company for 40 years, okay? You work for 40 years, you retire at 65, you go away for a few years and you come back. Let's say you come back five years later at 70. You know what's gonna happen to you in that company? Everybody's gonna have forgotten about you, right? <laughs> That's just the way work goes. It moves on. That's why it's a lousy idol. It's a lousy identity. It's a lousy place to find your sense of self-worth. Y'all heard me say this before. If you go to work to get a Zoe, to get a life, to get a life that means something, It'll always leave you empty. It's the food that doesn't satisfy. But if you go to work with a Zoe, with a life, with an identity, with a relationship with the Lord, with a relationship with other human beings that are meaningful, you'll be able to work in a really hard, meaningful way, and you'll be able to be in control in the situation. I'm, I'm going to move us along. If, if uh, Dr. Moore, if you've got your sheet in front of you there, I'm just going to throw a question out for the sake of time, and that is, uh, we're seeing increasingly aggressive tactics by companies to achieve conformity on political and social secular issues. Where should we draw the line? I'm going to go ahead and read parts A and B. At what point do we push back? And is there ever a time I need to remove myself from that company as a Christian? Yeah, there, there are times when, when one would need to, to remove oneself from the company. So I think I saw that you all have been uh, going through Daniel uh, lately, and uh, if, if I'm accurate about that, look at the, look at the different ways that there's engagement uh, in Daniel. So you start with just obedience to things that don't matter. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take on Babylonian names. Um, you have other things where there's kind of a negotiation. Daniel says, let us uh, eat uh, the food that we're supposed to eat and see if we don't, um, if we don't thrive. And then you have uh, instances where there's an imposition of something that's going to cause the person to sin. And so what you need to do is to be able to differentiate between am I operating in an environment that is... You know, as, as Paul said of Athens in Acts 17, is filled with idols. That doesn't mean you leave. Um, it means you can, you can stay and you can understand that uh, people are around you who don't agree with you and you don't make an issue out of everything that they bring up. But when there's something that is, is saying, um, you are going to have to do something that violates your conscience, your, your deepest uh, principles, what you'll have to do is to say, uh, first of all, I can't do that. Can we find a way to work around this? Now, that's not that you have that you have the right not to be around people who disagree or to hear viewpoints with which you disagree. But if someone's asking you to actively violate your conscience, um, then appeal. And if people won't be able to respect that, then yes, you need to you need to find a workplace where you. That's good. Any any additions? Are you seeing things in your world that you're thinking, I need to think a little bit more about these ideas that are coming down the pipe? Yeah, I, it's definitely been something that's been on my heart a lot lately and I'm praying about. And, um, you know, we're seeing more and more at, at our company this push on the social issues or even just political ideals where... Sometimes I just have to remind myself and take a step back that, 
you know, I'm thinking about my mission from a Christian standpoint and glorifying God, but this organization is not a Christian organization. And their mission might be to get people on their side of the political spectrum um, and just just kind of understanding that and, and seeing for way, ways that I can um, maybe see it as an opportunity to speak up about faith, um, especially as, you know, inclusiveness has become such a huge buzzword in the company. Why can't Christianity be, be a part of that? Everyone is so afraid. Um, you know, we're going to include anything and everything why not include, you know, a Christian forum um, and a Christian worldview? So may, I think it's an opportunity, and I'm really praying um, for the right time and ways to to speak up about it. I think that's great. There, I told some of you about Chris Mayako, a friend of ours who works for UPS, and he was asked to be a part of uh, some different things that supported abortion openly. And he was asked to represent the company and support those deals. And anyway, he, long story short, he had to tell his boss, he said, I just, I just can't do that. Is it okay if I, if I'm, if we substitute someone else, which is exactly what Dr. Moore was saying, which is the Daniel model. And his boss not only said, I appreciate your candor. He said, yes, you can leave for that part of the meeting. And his boss also came to him on the following Monday morning when the meeting was supposed to happen. He said, you won't believe it. The weirdest thing happened. We had to cancel that whole meeting. So just very interesting what happened when he took that Daniel approach. It was a really sweet moment for him and really faith building for him. Let's ask uh, Dr. Moore, I'm going to come to you on this one. But then you, if you guys want to, if you two want to bounce off this, it's great. Uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, and this is where some of you are right now. Where does participating in the stock market line up with the biblical view of work and provision? And what we're really talking about here is somebody who sits and watches multiple monitors, and that's how they make their money, and that's their livelihood, not, not interacting with a bunch of other folks. Some of you are like, I just wish I had a stock. Uh, but some of you are, are in that world, and so... Uh, because the Bible speaks on being fruitful and diligent in work as well as providing for your family. The stock market isn't something the church speaks on often. So I thought it'd be a great question to ask on how it fits into a biblical understanding of work, if it does. And uh, if, if so, you know, this person has an engineering job today, they could quit and go straight into the stock market. And, uh, and work from home and kind of be by themselves. What, just what do you think about that type of work? Well, uh, managing stocks is work. Uh, that, that is very hard intellectual labor. And uh, the scripture speaks positively about uh, investment. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so I would say if somebody's gifted and equipped to work in the stock market, great. And, uh, and do that. So I'm not sure if someone is, if, if the reason that a person is asking that is because he or she thinks, well, I'm not really working if I'm managing stocks. Well, yes, you are. Uh, yes, you are. Intellectual labor is labor. Um, or if they're saying, well, I'm not really around people because I'm, I'm by myself. A lot of work is like that. You could be the, the person uh, driving the peanut uh, uh, tractor, somebody was mentioning earlier. That's work. 
Uh, you will need to, to find relationships with people, but you can do that in other ways. So I, I would say God's blessing to you as you're doing that work. Yeah, I mean, I think even biblically, I mean, the verse that came to mind is from like Proverbs 31, she considers a field and buys it. There, there is this biblical principle yeah. of shrewdness in investment, right? Um, and in a sense, that's kind of the, the same idea. I mean, the stock market is what, what it is. It, you know, if it feels just like this big game. I mean, what is actually going on behind the game is you're investing in companies that are producing products that are serving a lot of people. Uh, and, and the investment that people make in those companies can make them profitable, can make them have the confidence to expand and to do more of what they're trying to do. And so, I mean, this is very much how I would say the American economy works at a macro level. And, uh, but it's really how any economy works. It, we, it, it's just such at a macro level, it, it can feel like a little gamey. But really, if you wanted to go the cookies that you mentioned earlier, Thomas, yeah. right? At some point, uh, um, she's going to have to go and get an investor and say, hey, can you help me get this thing started? And, you know, that's really the same idea just at a micro level. And so, yeah, that's, that's a great, um, that's, an, that's an interesting and very noble calling. Again, it's commended in scripture, I would say. That's why we need to get Carrie on Shark Tank. Yeah. 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 We just want to get her on Shark Tank. That's what we really want. Uh, I mean, you work in finance. I any thoughts on that financial, any warnings? How about this? Any warnings for folks that are in the financial field? Do you see any pitfalls people may take? I mean, I think certainly from a financial aspect, thinking about money and money being an idol, um, I could see that as a potential pitfall and being really caught up in something that can build you a lot of wealth, and then with that comes a, a great responsibility. So yeah. potentially there, but I think they totally hit it. I think God calls people to all kinds of vocations, and it might not seem like work. I mean, the professional athlete, you know, that's, you know, people are entertained by what they're doing and, you know, pay money to watch them play, but is that work? Well, yes, it is. And I would, I would just add, sometimes it doesn't feel like work because you're really good at it. Hmm. And, and that's the case with almost anything. There are things that you've become so good at that you, you start to think, well, this really isn't that difficult. But other people would say, there's no way that we could do this. And so that, that may be why this person is having a little bit of hesitancy there. They're just really good at it. And, and praise God, keep, keep developing that. What a gift if you can find that spot where you think, sometimes this feels like work, but I also really enjoy it too. Uh, so Dr. Moore coming to you with maybe our most unique question of the evening. Uh, with automation and AI on the rise, how does the local church plan to operate around its potential consequences, some of which are already documented by psychologists and sociologists uh, increased depression, unemployment, lack of job availability for low-skilled work, escapism, uh, and the list goes on. So what's your thoughts on that? Well, I'm really worried about it and concerned about it. Not long-term, but medium-term. Um, I think that AI and a lot of the technologies that are going to be being developed are going to be really good for human flourishing around the world. There are going to be people who aren't going to starve to death. Uh, because of many of these technologies. But 
as with a lot of other technological developments, a lot of people are going to be left behind. And especially at the beginning stages of transitioning uh, parts of the economy. So churches have to be ready to say, what do we do uh, with the people who have been displaced uh, by this? And, uh, you know, I, when I was serving as pastor at a church, we had a, um, we had a GE factory down the, down the street. And anytime that there were even rumors of furloughs or, or layoffs, I just knew I was going to have a lot more counseling from marriage problems and depression and those those sorts of things. So we need to be uh, congregations that know how to bear one another's burdens uh, with that. And part of that, not the whole thing, but part of that actually is what we were talking about uh, a little bit earlier, which is for people to see themselves in Christ, see themselves in terms of the, the meaning that God gives to their lives through the gospel, uh, and not to identify themselves solely with what it is that they do and what it is that, th that they can do. That's going to change. And I think we see really, really rapid uh, changes going on right now, uh, aspects of technology that we wouldn't would have seemed like magic uh, just a, a decade before. So we have to be ready for that. And I think that means uh, loving each other. That's great. Uh, everybody doing okay? We got four or five more questions. We're trucking along. Everybody happy? All right, there we go. It's a little warm in here. Dr. Moore, it's, uh, we're in, a, in our future church building, and it's, uh -huh. uh, it's a balmy 82 in here probably. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's why I'm in shorts on the stage. I apologize, everyone. It's just hot. Uh, but I'm proud of these guys for wearing jeans. Uh, so, Jason, this one's for you. Solomon, that guy, what a guy. The wisest man that ever lived. He kept using the word vanity when he talked about work. So how do you, how do you find joy in your work when there seems to be so much drudgery? Even Solomon saying it's just vanity. Dr. Moore saying people didn't, you know, don't say, I want to spend more time at the job when they're on their deathbed. What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think it gets back to what I, came, what I said before, and I think I said this a couple weeks ago. You, if you're going to work to get meaning, this is my life. Um, and again, we, we live in a culture like that. I mean, I've said this, I know, I think I said this last week here, our last names, right? If your last name is Baker, right? If your last name is Farmer, if your last name is Miller, if your last name is Smith, right? There's so much identity that comes from work that it's how people have been named in the past. So this, this is not a new ideal. People getting too much identity or, or too much self-worth from their work is an old thing, but that always is the food that perishes. It, it always ends up leaving you feeling, what is it all worth? I've worked and worked and worked and worked, and um, what if I have to show for it? You know, you ever have that thought? You know, I've worked so hard at this, and then it just went away so fast. And I think that's what Solomon's reflecting on. If I'm just trying to find meaning in life, in, van, in, in my work, then it's all vain. It, it's all going to expire. It's all going to feel very meaningless. But if you bring a sense of Zoe, if you bring a life to work, then whatever it is you're working on, you can trust that in God's great design, He is working all of that effort out 
for something that is good, for something that's going to be redeemed, for something that is ultimately creating wonder in his eternal kingdom. There's, there's a great um, uh, Tolkien little short story called Leaf by Niggle, if you've ever read it. And it's about this guy, and he wants to paint this tree. And he goes to a studio, but he always gets interrupted with all of the people that live in his village come by, and they need help with this, and they need help with that. And the people end up taking him away from this masterpiece that he's going to do, his real-life work. He's going to paint this tree. And all of his life, all he gets done on the tree is one leaf. All he finishes is one leaf. And then kind of in the story, he dies, and he's on this train going to the afterlife. And he looks out the window of the train, and he sees his leaf, only it's surrounded by a whole forest. It's, a, it's not just one tree. It's surrounded by a whole forest of trees. It's a huge masterpiece. And he gets it. Ah, this toil, as I toiled in the Lord, as I... As I knew God, as I told him, God was producing, it was part of something that God was producing that is so wondrous and so grand. And, and I would say if you, if you can go to work with that attitude, knowing that even in the most menial things that I do, God is working out his purposes. You know, there's another little great little book called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And the guy works in a kitchen and he cleans pots all day long. But he communes with God as he does. And he just, it, all day long, he's aware of the presence of God. And, um, you know, in, in the most menial task, you could be scrubbing a dish, right? But as you're aware that God is, you know what, who, what's on the other side of scrubbing a dish? Somebody's going to eat. And you have to eat. What's more important than eating, right? Uh, what's on the other side of, of combing your daughter's hair, right? Your daughter has clean hair. What's on the other side of, you know, whatever it else it is that you're doing, financing, adding up numbers? Well, you're, you're actually bringing some sort of order and goodness to society that the Lord is using to produce something beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you, if you try to get that from work, it's vanity. It will exhaust you. But if you bring life in God, in Christ, to work, and as Dr. Moore said earlier, the identity you have in the gospel, if you could bring that into work, then your boss could give you the worst task ever, and you can actually find joy and meaning in it. That's good. That's really good. I, I, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I mean, Jesus was looking forward. We need to stay looking ahead and keep our eyes not being drugged down to our feet where everybody else is telling us to look. We keep our eyes on the Lord, and it gives us a whole new perspective. Uh, you know, Dr. Moore, this next one is for you. Maggie, if you want to jump in on this one also. Uh, it says, the world says that we should seek comfort. As believers, we're naturally doing something countercultural. So what's the balance of leaning into a hard job and being a light versus it's hard, I'm going to leave and seek comfort where I know I can find it? Well, I think sometimes people think um, that they're pursuing comfort when they're actually pursuing balance. Um, if you look at the way that God has, uh, even in the, the creation account, six days of labor and a seventh of, of rest, um, that's, not, that's not comfort. Uh, and so I find some people, yes, who are always looking for an ideal job, 
Uh, just like I find some people who are always looking for an ideal relationship or an ideal uh, marriage. Um, yes, there's that. But then you also have sometimes people that I found who are in really toxic sorts of workplaces uh, where their their gifts are, are actually not being used, but they don't know it because this is all that they've ever known and, and they don't know what it would look like um, to, to go somewhere else. So if you if you have those people who know you around you who can come in and, and see which side of that you're on, sometimes you're going to have people who are going to say, you know, you're bored because you're not being challenged and uh, and you need to be challenged more or you're going to have people who are going to come in and say you know you're really in a bad situation and it's not just the normal kind of drudgeries of work it's that something has gone wrong here and, and you need to seek something else if you have those relationships you can start to discern that that's good There's been different seasons in my life, too. It's, it's not always been a constant for me. And um, balance has been really key between family and work, but also just recognizing there have been seasons where I have really, really pushed from a work perspective. You know, when I think back when my youngest was a baby, one years old, I was trying to do it all and work really hard, and I'd be online uh, working after he went to bed. But I think right now I'm in a season, I just can't do that. And I can, I can recognize my own limitations and what I need to do. And I don't necessarily either see that as seeking comfort, but just making sure that I can give my all while I'm there. Because if I work myself into the ground, I'm not gonna be a light for Christ. Um, and I'm not gonna do a good job um, from a work perspective either. I, I think that's both of those answers together are, are really well fleshed out. I think if you think, man, this is really, really hard, but you're good at it, and you even sense a call you're supposed to be there, just know uh, Ecclesiastes 3. There are, there are seasons in life, and maybe give it a little bit of time and see if that season passes and it becomes a little more manageable, and I think that's where you're referring to. Jason, I'm so glad you get to answer this next question. How do you handle underperformers that you manage? I get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's the tension between grace and firmness? Like, we got some folks here that are new managers in the room. They're, they're working with some folks. Well, I mean, your goal as a manager is to make everybody that's working underneath you more successful, right? I mean, I think I like to think of it in kind of the coach mentality, yeah. you know. We're trying to actually get the most out of our players, if you will, as possible. And so some people respond to different types of coaching, right? There may be somebody and you just need to sit down with them and have a hard conversation with them and say, look, you know, this is work. This is what this looks like. You, you know, we're just going to need you to step up. There may be somebody and they just need a little encouragement. There may be somebody that's really in the wrong job. And so that's a hard, that's a hard thing to, uh, to answer kind of in one little uh, snippet of a way, but uh, the, the, the kind of general principle I would say is, look, you know, don't, don't lose the person for the sake of the product, right? You, you, as a manager, you have an amazing opportunity as an ambassador for Christ to impact people. 
obviously you've got something that you want to do. And if somebody on your team is not doing a good job, then, then the whole team, you're actually, you're actually not serving the other people. You do have a stewardship to your other workers yeah. or to the shareholders of your company or to the members of your church or whoever it may be. So there's a lot of people, you know, dynamics to manage there. But really the goal is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pour myself into this person so that they can work harder, so they can do a job they're really proud of. And so they can ultimately please the Lord with, with their work. But I, I, I'll go ahead and make myself available pastorally. Just if, if there is anybody in that environment, I have made a lot of mistakes in that environment by being too heavy handed. Uh, and I've also just because it's hard to engage in hard conversations been too passive. And so I, I think I've learned a lot over the years. And so I'd love to, I'll just make myself available That's good. Uh, if you want to kind of do a one-on-one. And I actually have those conversations a lot with church members. So if you find yourself in that position, uh, you know, other, other church members are hitting me up on this one. So feel free yeah. to, to join in. That's good. Either of you have anything to add to that, working with folks that aren't quite up to their potential? Uh, I also have made the same errors that Jason talked about in his uh, life um, with people, either with being too heavy-handed or too passive. One of the things I would warn against is sometimes you will have um, situations where you you don't kind of intervene with somebody who's underperforming, but you just sort of resent uh, the fact that that person isn't isn't performing. That's a, a dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, come in, try to do what you can do to help this person to do the job. But sometimes you're going to have to say, this isn't you. That This isn't how you've been uh, equipped or gifted. And uh, maybe there's something else in that same workplace that person could do, or it may be you really you really will thrive more if you're in a different environment. Mm-hmm. But don't just sort of simmer with the resentment that somebody's not doing what you what you think they should do. That's good. Yeah, I always think it's more loving to give the feedback than hold on to it because if I I think when I was in that position. I wanted my manager, I was hungry for feedback, like, yeah. tell me what I can do better. And so to, to withhold that, I, I don't think that's a good thing. Um, you know, deliver feedback um, along with positive, constructive um, feedback as well, but make it so that it's timely, so it doesn't mm-hmm. brew and become this big thing and it can be more of a coaching thing, like Jason said. Yeah, I mean, one of just, I mean, just super practically, we do a coaching meeting with everybody that reports to me and then everybody, like, so Thomas has people that report to him, for example. He has a coaching meeting with them every six weeks. I have a coaching meeting with him every six weeks. So we're empowering this kind of coaching culture And, you know, if the person's doing a really good job, it's a fun meeting. You're just kind of catching up for 30 minutes or so. If if there is something to address, you already have that in your rhythm. Um, And so it really becomes that kind of coaching time. If all you have in your company is like an annual review, that's a really bad model. It's too formal. It's not good for sort of what I'm talking about for for personal growth. So, but again, we could talk offline. I feel like we... No, th- this is really helpful. Just if you're getting to implement things with your people that you're working with, and some of you don't have anybody you're working that's working for you right now, but you will, implement some of these strategies. Come and chat with Jason, um, myself, or Maggie. Or when Dr. Moore comes here in October, pull him aside. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dr. Moore, this is, this is the one everybody's been waiting for here. 
If okay. someone in my office prefers to be called by a pronoun, they, them, he, she, uh, uh, he, uh, he, him, the list goes on. I think, that, I think I saw 97 of them the other day, different, different combinations, um, that is opposite of their God-given gender. What is the appropriate response? And you might want to even back up and give some, some thought to this and then answer that direct question. Well, what I would say is uh, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul says, when I'm telling you not to associate with, and he gives a list of, of things, sexually immoral, swindlers, you know, everything. He says, I'm not telling, I'm not talking about the people who are out in the world. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you would have to come out of the world. I'm talking about those who bear the name of brother or sister, those who are within, within the church. He says, I don't judge the world. It's those on the inside that I judge. Uh, also look at the extensive conversations going on in the New Testament about meat offered to idols, um, in, in which a lot of the response to that depends on what the message is that's being communicated with the, the eating of the meat um, and what the conscience is of the person who, is, who, is, who has it before him or her. So here's, here's what I would say. Um, I think there are many uh, places in Scripture where you have people, for instance, named after pagan deities, and those names are, are used because there isn't any assumption that that's endorsing uh, those, uh, those pagan deities. I think you have to ask in every conversation, I've got two, two things that I'm wanting to hold on to. I'm wanting to hold on to your dignity, which means I don't want to communicate that in order for, for you to be friends with me, or even as I'm sharing the gospel, in order for you to come to Christ, you have to have your life in order uh, the way that I would want it to be. You wanna avoid that. You also want to avoid uh, contributing to some confusion that someone has or contributing to uh, confusion about what it is that you believe. So if you're, if you're talking to someone and you're uh, and you feel as though you are communicating your own convictions, um, then that's one thing. If it's really clear that you're calling the person what the person wants to be called, but that's not the end of the conversation, uh, you're, you're moving on forward in the conversation, then that's an entirely different thing. So th there's, not, there's not always going to be a do it exactly this way because in the New Testament, there are just a number of different factors that you have to you have to keep in mind. What what a lot of people wanted is tell us, do we eat meat offered to idols or not? And Paul comes in and says, well, uh, it, it depends uh, partly on what the person says when the when the meat is put on your plate. Uh, and, and I think the same thing would be true here. Yeah, I I, I saw this question. I I thought it was interesting. First of all, just to, I mean, just to make a very clear statement about gender um, and really what is, I think, going on here. Um, I mean, I, I believe that God loves how he has made us, right? He delights in how he forms us to be. Uh, and there is, there, the, the Bible means something when it says that we're made in his image, right? The Bible means something that uh, when it says that he made us male and female and, and th this kind of working together images God in this very particular way. 
Uh, I even was reflecting when thinking about this one time on, on John 2, and Jesus is so frustrated, so angry with what is happening in the temple of God, and just comparing that to the temple that God has created in us, this, this reflection of himself in each of us. So I do think that this gender confusion issue truly breaks the heart of our Lord and is a very serious thing, right? So I, I just want to be very clear about that. But I also want to say, as Dr. Moore said, like, and, and this is what I would just encourage this generation with, we live in Babylon. That's right. <laughs> I, I think that a lot of our parents' generation, and again, you know, I was born 26 days into being a millennial, so if a lot of millennials like us, um, our parents are kind of mourning what I say, like they're mourning the loss of Jerusalem, you know, and now whether or not their childhood was a God-fearing time or not, um, there is this sense of mourning in a lot of folks that are our parents' age. Um, but, but I would just say, like, for, for you guys, don't mourn, right? God has sent you on mission. I'm so glad you're mm-hmm. in this city. You know who you are. You know who God's made you to be. You've been set free by Christ, right? And so in that, you can be confident and you can engage people that don't see the world in the same way that you do in a confident and loving way. So if your boss wants everybody to use their pronouns, you know, if you're a guy, put he, him, and be an awesome guy, you know? Just show, like, this is what it means to be a man. And this is what it means, you know, that, that, that's not necessarily violating your convi- conviction. I, I like when people use the pronoun he and him when they refer to me, right? Um, and if you're a woman, you can use the... the so I, I don't know that that is an invitation to a cultural battle in that moment because I think the expectation is we do live in Babylon. I should expect this secular company to follow the secular norms of the way, but God in his grace, and I would just say this, God in his plan has sent you to be an ambassador for Christ to that company. And so live your conviction. Don't violate your conscience. If, you're, if your company's asking you to violate your conscience, then yeah, of course, don't violate your conscience. But but be, but be honorable, love the people that God's called you to work alongside, and, and I, ju- I know that your presence there will change the culture of that, of that environment, and that is, I believe, who we're called to be. This is not the first time that Christianity has come onto the scene in a very difficult environment. That's actually where Christianity is most comfortable. Christianity has thrived in difficult environments. Mm -hmm. But, as I said this before, I I don't really think what people are upset about is that Christianity is being taken away. You can't take Christianity away if you're really in Christ. I think what people are upset about is that their comfort while being a Christian might be taken away. And I think the thing I would say to this generation is, if you really identify with Jesus... If this kind of secular age continues, a lot of you aren't going to be the presidents of your company. If you really identify with Jesus, if this kind of secularization continues, you may not get the promotion. You may be seen as strange and weird in your company, just like 
Daniel right. was in his day because he didn't just bow to the wishes of the day. And I think this is where you have, this is where this whole conversation comes full circle. Is work for you where you're getting identity or is Christ where you're getting an identity? And, you know, I don't, I don't know what the future holds. I pray what I just said is wrong. I pray that you will be able to hold to deep Christian conviction and be very successful in, our, in, our, in Atlanta. But that may not be the case, and that's okay. Christians have endured that for centuries. But, but are you able in that environment to really hold to the identity that you have in Jesus today and the, ultimately, and the ultimate identity that you have in him in his coming kingdom. And, and I would just add, part of the tension in that question between um, standing with, by conviction and not reducing the people around you to a set of arguments, you see them as people, is a tension that's going to be in the Christian life uh, everywhere. So yeah. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus's house and he has, he has criticism coming from two directions. Uh, some people are offended that he's calling Zacchaeus to repentance, uh, turn back, uh, make restitution for the money that you have stolen. And other people are upset because he's, he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's part of the tension of the Christian life of being in the world, but not of it. But uh, your, your call is to stand by your convictions, never uh, violate conscience, and not to expect people to pretend to be Christians before you can share the gospel uh, with them. And what you'll find is if you, if, you, if you stand by your convictions and you treat people with dignity and with love, a lot of times people are going to come to you when they're at a moment of crisis because they know they can trust you. You're not going to adjust yourself to what everybody expects and you're not going to, um, you're not going to be hostile uh, toward people who disagree with you. And that's when you can have a lot of those Nicodemus-like conversations. I really appreciate, Dr. Moore, your wisdom. Uh, Jason, your wisdom. And Maggie, one, just your boldness. A lot of folks in the working world would be very hesitant to take this stage. So we really appreciate you stepping up and being here this evening. We're going we're gonna to kind of land the plane now, but for, for each of you, is there a final thought? It may not have to, anything to do with any of the questions that were asked for really an awesome group. I mean, I, I love Tuesday nights. I look forward to seeing you all uh, on Sunday morning and every Tuesday night. You just mean a lot to Heather and I. And so we want to just equip you. It, is there any thoughts you would give to your... 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30-year-old self facing all that folks are facing right now in the work world? Yeah, um, first, thank you for having me. And I guess I'll just say at 25, I probably wouldn't wouldn't have said yes. I probably would have said, oh, I don't think I can do that. Um, And so just as an encouragement for people to just keep praying about it. And I think it's so important to have godly mentors in your life and people in the faith that you can talk to about these issues because you know, many of the questions we talked about, there's not necessarily one answer that's the only way to address that issue. Um, and so if you're praying about it and you're in fellowship and community 
with other Christians, you know, that's just going to really set you up for success. Um, so I think that would be something I would just say on, on all of these issues. If you're feeling convicted, make sure that you're praying about it and you're, you're talking with other people about it who are, you know, in the faith, brothers and sisters in the faith. Um, and also, I'm happy to, to speak with anyone um, after or in the future. Um, this issue of faith in the workplace has been especially on my heart lately, and it just kind of felt like God's timing that you asked me. So, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Jason? Uh, just one thing I want to say. I think you know, C.S. Lewis famously says, friendship is the least natural of the loves, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's no like biological connection. You, 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 you don't feel the responsibility that a parent feels for a child, or it's not like a work relationship where there's some, you know, mutual benefit. You, you're friends with people because you love them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I would just say, I've seen so many people my age that had a sense of community when they were your age, but then they got married, then they had a child and the kids and they lost all their friends, and there wasn't a group of people they were working these things out with, mm. and their faith just started kind of living off of fumes. So stay engaged, be in the men's groups, be in the women's groups that you're in, stay engaged in small groups, keep coming to this, keep serving, keep yeah. doing, keep flexing the Christian muscles that you guys are doing such a good job flexing, and I think as you know Christ and as you commune with Him, these things around you will be incredibly clear. And then I just also want to thank Dr. Moore kind of publicly on behalf of Christ's covenant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Moore has meant so much in my life. Uh, He has instructed me. He was my teacher. Uh, He said he was proud of me, but really I'm I'm so proud of him, and I'm so excited for you, Dr. Moore, in your new post at Christianity Today. I know you will continue to keep serving us, and I mean us as Christ's covenant, I mean us as Christians in the world, um, faithfully from that post. And so we are praying for you. We're 100% in your quarter, and we can't wait for you to be with us uh, in October. So can, y'all, can y'all join me in thanking Dr. Moore yeah. before he offers his final word? So why don't we let Dr. Moore give a word of wisdom and then pray for the group? Is that great? Okay. That'd Sorry to take over there. I, I, yeah. That's uh, well, that's what you do when you uh, work for someone. You see my <laughs> response? That's a great <laughs> idea, Jason. <laughs> well, uh, I just want to say thanks for having me. It's been great to to be with you all, and I'm looking forward to being with you in October. Uh, when when Jesus said you cannot serve both God and Mammon. Think about the context in which he's saying that. He's talking about worry. Mm. He's talking about anxiety. Take no thought for tomorrow. Um, And so I think there's a a tendency to sometimes be uh, constantly worried about what's going to happen next in my workplace or in my career or something else. And it it, it can drive you away from prayer. I mean, the, the, the simple fact of the matter is you are going to be praying. You're either praying to God, saying, I need wisdom, I need strength, or you're praying to yourself through what it is that you're just kind of rolling around in your mind and being worried about. So I would just say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Amen. Dr. Moore, would you close us out and pray over this group? We'd really appreciate that. Absolutely. Lord, I pray for the men and women in this room, for the places that you have put them. I know some of them in this room are at the 
height of their careers. And some of them in this room are feeling uh, overwhelmed and burned out. And there are people uh, all between those two extremes. Lord, I pray that you would be present to all of them, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them direction, that you would enable them uh, by your spirit to stand uh, firm in Christ, uh, that you would enable them to be loving in the mission fields that you've put them into. And Lord, that you would enable them to see that their identity isn't at the start what they do. Um, but who they are and who they are is in Christ and seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And so, Father, I pray that what everyone in this room would hear is the first word from you being, you are my beloved child and with you I am well pleased. And so we ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this evening. We're going to wrap it up. We don't have a closing song tonight. We knew we'd go a little longer in our conversation. But we would love to connect with you and start a conversation at the Connect desk on your way out. And if you're new, definitely stop there so we can uh, certainly meet you and say hello. Thanks for being here. Next week, the Stave Room, but Sunday morning, still here. All right. See you soon. <laughs>